to be blunt, we really don't live in the same world as the people in the biblical period. Oh, we dwell on the same planet, but we, we don't view things the same way. We have different perspectives on life. We have different views of people. A different view of life, a different view of God, a different estimation for the value of people. We value people without regard to their gender or their ethnicity or their national origin, or at least we're supposed to value people equally. Biblical literalists are constantly stumbling over this reality, the, the reality of the change in the literal universe that we have experienced these last 2,000 years. They're often trying to equate our worldview to the biblical worldview and say that if people of the Bible understood something in a certain way, we must too as if there were no difference in experience, no difference in perspective, no difference in outlook or in need between then and now. But in reality, things are very different today. One excellent illustration of this point is in the many pastoral references to God as our shepherd and to Jesus as the good shepherd, and to humans as sheep that you find in multiple places throughout the Bible and especially in the teachings of Jesus, especially in what Jesus says in our reading today in John's Gospel. In the ancient biblical world, these references made a lot of sense. People heard these stories, they heard these references, and they made sense to them. They'd grown up with sheep. They grew up in an agrarian society. They grew up, if they were actually city folk, they still were closer to that agrarian society. Animals were constant in their daily life. All around them, shepherds and sheep were well known to them. As for us, the vast majority of us have a different experience. And in many cases, the difference is generational. My mother was born in Delta County, Texas. She was the daughter of sharecroppers. And so she was a sharecropper too. She lived in a one-room house with a dirt floor and no electricity and no hot and cold running water, no running water at all. They had a pump, rafters, no air conditioning, none of the comforts that we know of today. Her early years were spent growing up in this society and this setting and this farming and rural society in the depression in country Texas. Picking cotton, tending chickens, milking cows, going out into the fields at lunchtime with food for her dad, helping him and the dogs round up the sheep to bring them in to chew on the lawn. A very different life. My mom has many fond memories of that time, so much so that she still calls herself a little country girl, even though she's way into her 80s. 
Then World War II hit. And her family moved from Ben Franklin, Texas, out in Delta County, just south into the west of Paris, Texas, moved to the Metroplex, moved to Dallas and Fort Worth, moved here to work in a bomber factory. Yes, my grandmother was a Rosie the Riveter. And my granddad, who was in his head a lightning calculator, did the uh, pay books for the bomber plant. She went from a one-room farmhouse with no electricity to living in the projects with electricity and running water and a big city school from a one-room schoolhouse with one teacher to a big city school. Her world changed overnight. The snap of your fingers. And her life was very different. She still traveled out to Ben Franklin on the train every summer and spent the summers with her grandmother out on the farm, still doing those things, helping with the milking, helping with keeping house, helping with the work in the fields with her grandparents. But that was just for the summer. Then she'd go back into Dallas and go to school. She graduated from North Dallas High School in the 50s. And she still calls herself just a little country girl. Her life changed tremendously. It's a very different world for her in her lifetime. Being around farm animals was a good illustration of this for her. I grew up around dogs and cats. The first time I'd ever seen a sheep was at a petting zoo. Mother grew up around them. Could hear them outside at night. Could hear them in the day. She was well aware of the chickens and the cows and the sheep and the pigs and the horses and working dogs, not just pets, working dogs who helped on the farm. And cats who did their job and didn't just lay around and watch you, they actually did their job and took care of the mice. Yes, my mom's world went from a farming setting to a sitting, city setting overnight. And all of us here today, I would say, live in a very different world from the one in which my mom was born into and grew up in. A very different world. Also from the biblical world. A very different world indeed. So we cannot simply easily equate the experience of the people in the biblical time with the experience of people today or their expectations or their understandings of what life was to be about. It's not a simple matter of equating one with the other because there is no way to equate it. Expectations were different. Experiences were different. Perceptions were different. The value of people was different. If it was different for my mother, 
in the 1930s and 40s shifting from country life to city life, see, it's even more different, my friends, between 2,000 years ago and today. Is it any wonder that all of these agrarian references frequently escape us? Is it any wonder that many of the experiences of life have so drastically changed? We may not know how to express the need or how to come to God like, like they did. They, they spoke about uh, the shepherd speaking and the sheep hearing the voice and following the voice. And that idea, that concept is, you know, what, really? I can't get my dog Chase to come to me when I say come. He looks at me like I'm a lump on a log. And yet mom says, no. Dad would call the sheep and they would come. And if they wouldn't come, the dog would make them come. My dog Chase would sit there and laugh at me if I tried that. No. We live in a very different world. From that world here in America, 80 years ago, we live in a very different world, an even more different world than the biblical period that Jesus was speaking in. A very different world indeed. More than a quarter of the U.S. adult population says that they are spiritual but not religious. That figure is up all across the board, too, regardless of your demographic category. Among young people ages 15 to 29, that percentage is much higher. Up to 35% of that demographic says they are spiritual but not religious. And an even somewhat even half of that figure, more, doesn't even say they're spiritual. Keep that in mind too, my friends. And this percentage of spiritual but not religious is growing across the board. It said it was, the demographics I looked at said that it was even up amongst the senior citizens by almost 9% to 17% spiritual but not religious. Spiritual but not religious reflects a growing discontent with traditional Western Christian perspectives and terminologies. Hence the religious metaphors that tend to get thrown around by many religious Christians today, like God is our shepherd. I love the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That speaks to me. But there are many in the world today, many in America today, for whom that concept has very little, if any, meaning. And these references to humans as sheep almost seem offensive. And yet, the need that those terminologies communicated from the ancient agrarian world of the biblical frame is still real. The need to have a connection with God and however one might understand God, the spiritual, the other, continues to be real. 
To to recast it in somewhat more relatable terms, it's the question, what does it mean to hear God's voice? The religious people of the day had gathered around Jesus to find out if He was the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one who would save the people from the Roman occupation and reestablish the kingdom of David. Pretty big question, really. They wanted to know, are you the one? Are you the one who's going to deliver us? Are you the one that's going to change everything? Big question. And Jesus' answer is biting. He says to them, I have told you, and you do not believe it. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. But you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. My my sheep hear my voice. In the fields, when the shepherd would call the sheep, they would come. They could and would respond to the shepherd's call. And and dogs would help them too, but, but the sheep would come. Jesus is drawing a connection between God's people and sheep. And He's telling them, He's telling these good religious folk, and when you see in John's gospel that it says the Jews in this way, what He's really meaning is the religious leaders of the day. Those who are in charge those who speak for God in the temple and in the synagogues, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the religious leaders, the Sadducees who run the temple, he's speaking about these people, the big muckety-mucks of the day. He's talking to them. And he's saying to them, nope, you may think you're all that in a bag of chips, but you're not. You don't hear my voice because you're not one of God's fold. You're not one of God's sheep. That's a huge insult to them. They think they are, but Jesus says, you're not. I've been telling you. My works have been testifying to it, and you've been denying it all the way. Had you been paying attention, had you been listening, you would have seen and you would have known, yes, I am the Messiah, but you haven't. Had you been watching what I was doing, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, comforting the brokenhearted, forgiving sin, had you been paying attention, you would know, but you haven't been, Jesus says. And he's speaking again to the religious leaders of his day, to those who wore the robes, the finery of his day. Yes, it's a huge insult and well-deserved. What does it mean to follow Jesus? If you, if, if you can't hear God's voice Maybe you can fake it, right? No. 
listening for God's voice, listening for God's call on your life means watching what Jesus does, listening to what Jesus says. So following Jesus then must be something very clear. There is that song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. This song may sound like a modern praise song, but it's actually over a century old. It comes from a missionary outpost in India, and the music is from an Assam India community based on one of their folk tunes. To follow Jesus can mean a lot of different things to different people. A set of beliefs, a way of life, how one treats others. I tend to believe that following Jesus has more to do with how one lives than in what one believes about Jesus. How do we live our lives? How do we treat others? How do we treat others in the difficult times as well as in the good times? How do we treat family and friends? But more importantly, how do we treat strangers? Those who are different from us. Do we treat others as Jesus treated them? Do we feed the hungry? Do we give the water of life? Do we forgive? Do we bring healing and wholeness? Do we share of ourselves, of our time, our talents, our gifts, and our service? Do we treat others as Jesus treated them? All of these characteristics, forgiving and giving, loving and serving, healing, listening and speaking, all of these characteristics of the life of Jesus are part of following. Jesus. As Jesus' sheep, hearing His voice, turning to follow and do and live as He calls us to live, that's following Jesus. Living our lives as Jesus gave us example, as Jesus' stories illustrate, as Jesus' own words and actions demonstrate. That's following Jesus. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else. And no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Oh, this one gives us a lot of trouble at times. There's a lot in this. We're not going to get all the way through it, nor should we try. My mother taught me a long time ago 
that it's not the destination that's the most important part of any trip. It's the journey itself. That's why I love traveling. That's why I love cruising by ship. It's the journey itself that is part of the destination. It's the journey itself. It's the trip that you make through life that's most important. Not necessarily where you're going, but the journey itself that's important. And that's true for the big things of life especially. And is there anything larger than coming to comprehend or trying to comprehend or trying to encompass with the finitude of our brains the reality of God? How can we comprehend things like eternity and God and Jesus? These concepts are huge. They're beyond the finitude of our brains. Just this very last line has caused Christians to stumble and struggle for nearly 2,000 years. The Father and I are one. Whole doctrines have risen up in the church to deal with phrases like this. They can be found throughout the Gospels and they can be found throughout the New Testament. For example, one of those doctrines is, here's a big phrase, the consubstantial humanity and divinity of Jesus. Wow! What a big phrase, the consubstantial humanity and divinity of Jesus. That's the doctrine that Jesus is fully God and fully human at the same time. This doctrine grew up in the church during the first few centuries to deal with these passages, a passage just like this one, where he says that the Father and He are one. Similar with the doctrine of the Trinity. It stems from statements like this one. If Jesus is fully human and fully divine, if Jesus is God in some way that our brains cannot comprehend, then the reality of the deity must be beyond just a simple oneness. And I'm a Trinitarian by theology, but I also know that it is just a humble snapshot, a single perspective, a single moment of trying to comprehend that which is beyond us because it's infinite and we are finite. Following Jesus is about listening to His voice and following His example and living a life that reaches out to encompass all with God's love. We can hear God's voice, we can hear the voice of Jesus echoing down to us through the centuries of time in scriptures and in song and in experience and in thought. We can follow We can live the life that Jesus calls us to live. We can wrestle with the big ideas and the deep concepts. And all the while, we can follow Jesus. And the truth is, is that the destination is always moving ahead of us. I remember when I graduated from seminary and I got that Master of Divinity. I still had a doctorate to do, but I thought, you know what? I've arrived. Yeah, right. I felt the same way when I finished my doctorate. You know what? I've got it all. Yeah, right. (laughs) In all the years that have passed since I finished my formal education, I have learned far more than I learned during those years. 
And I know that as I continue to live and as I continue to learn, I will learn far more still than I've learned since then. Because life is a journey of following Jesus, listening, learning, loving, living, growing, changing, reaching out with compassion to share and to give. Are we listening for God's voice? Are we living our lives following Jesus, the one who shows us the love of God in ways beyond our comprehension? That is the calling of Easter. That is the calling of Pentecost towards which we're moving in just a few weeks. That is the calling that God has on our lives to listen and to follow and to live our lives expressing the love of God that we have received and we are called to share with others. I said it last week, I'll say it again. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love, not our knowledge, not our hate, pray, pray, please God, no, but by our love. Yes, I pray we all have decided to follow Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.